Do you have aspirations to be a leader in your business or organization? Welcome to Leadership Stars with your host, Linda Patton. Each week, we feature true leaders recognized in their fields who provide insight and ideas in creating a strong team and how you can become an effective leader. Now, here is Linda Patton. Welcome to this episode of Leadership Stars. I am so glad to be here, and I have an absolutely stellar guest for you today. But I have some questions first. So have you ever felt stuck in the ranks, passed over for promotion you deserved, had to work twice as hard to get half the notice from your male coworkers, felt like your feminine power got shut down every time you put on that uniform, that suit, or whatever it is that you wear to exude your professionalism. Well, today I have a phenomenal guest who has been there, done that, and has the answers for how we can work around it, how we can actually step into our feminine power and succeed. So I'd love you all to welcome my guest today, Yvette McDowell. Yvette, welcome. Thank you, Linda. Thank you so much for uh, having me on your show today. Uh, I think this is such an important time for women in this country and to be able to express that uh, on your show. I'm looking forward to that. And Yvette, I so agree with you that this is our time. And if we don't step in, step up, step out and own our leadership and actually take the reins of our jobs, of our lives, of our politics, that, you know, we're never going to make the change that we know we're drawn to and given as a purpose to do in this world. So I'm really glad that you're here. Um, Yvette, would you mind telling our audience just a bit about your background? Because I find it so unique and really fascinating. (laughs) Thank you, Linda. Um, My background started in, I would say, 1979 when I entered into the world of emergency medical services. Uh, becoming an EMT or an emergency medical technician, uh, followed by becoming a paramedic. Um, I did that private sector for about two years. And after that, it was like, okay, there's got to be more to doing this. And I wanted to get into something more challenging uh, from the uh, emergency medical services world. And I was hired by the city of Pasadena. Um, to become a solo function paramedic, and that was in the early 80s, uh, dating myself. And Mm -hmm. after that, um, I became a firefighter, uh, included that to the title uh, with paramedicine. So starting back in the early 80s in that industry, I went on and did that for about, oh, I'd say 14 and a half years total. And during my last Four years with the fire department, um, I decided I wanted to look at some other stuff. Um, you know, I was just getting that itch, that burning. I wanted to try some new things. Mm-hmm. Uh, as a people getting a little bit older, I said, uh, how long do I want to do this? So I went to law school and, yeah. um, you know, graduated four years out and took the bar, passed the bar the first time, which I was ecstatic about. Yeah. And. I had started law clerking with the uh, city attorney's office in Pasadena uh, during my third year of law school. And once I passed the bar, 
I was hired by the city attorney's office and became a deputy city prosecutor and retired as an assistant city prosecutor. So that's sort of the uh, Reader's Digest version. The, I, I like I said, I find your career fascinating. You know, in, in some respects, there are parallels to what I did um, with joining the military and being in the military for a while, and then into corporate and and you know rising up to a vice president level. But as I like to say, in the banks, you know, with twenty cents, you can get two dozen vice presidents because there are so many of them. Um, but it is it is still a status piece um, in that industry. So when you say to somebody, gee, I was a vice president, they go, ooh, wow, that's pretty special. And it was. Um, but again, it, it was something that was also handed out almost like candy, but, but not quite. So you retired, um, as, as you said, as an assistant city prosecutor. But I have a question. In your bio, you say you're an Emmy Award winning what would you earn an Emmy for as a city prosecutor? Oh, my goodness. Uh, thank you for asking that question. No, I was hired to coordinate a program that dealt with gangs. Mm-hmm. And part of that responsibility was creating some programs, a uh, running program. And one day my um, supervisor came to me and asked me about doing something special in this. And believe it or not, I'm on my way home from work one day, and I am listening to Stevie Wonder, who Mm -hmm. had just put out an album called Conversation Peace. And I'm listening to the lyrics of it, and it just sprung an idea with me to do something around conversation being about peace. And from there, the concept took off, and I had taken it in, you know, to my supervisor, let her know what I was thinking about. And the next thing I know, we're getting the public information officer from the city involved. We're getting the local cable access channel involved. And a video uh, documentary was produced as a result of that. And it went on to start winning these awards, which was a a shock to me. And next thing I know, I'm being called and said, we've been nominated for an Emmy Award. And what? (laughs) Okay. And went to the uh, red carpet affair, the black tie affair, which was pretty cool. And we won the Emmy. That's incredible. <laughs> <laughs> we won the Emmy. It, it was amazing, you know. So that's why when people see that, they're like, wait a minute, prosecutor, an Emmy? How did that happen? So and, that's uh, how it came about. And about what kind of... Uh, response, what kind of changes were made um, based on the fact that that program went out? What was it? In, what was its impact? The impact, we got a chance to really learn a lot about the family dynamic um, where gang members came from. And what I learned with that is that good families, really good families, but young people decided to take a different turn. You had some families, you know, where there were generational involvement with gangs. So it really gave me an opportunity to look at it from a different perspective as opposed to just enforcement. Let's look at some of the underlying dynamics that are going in. And we had a parenting component that was part of the program. So able to get a lot of help for families, uh, very needed, much needed services. 
mm-hmm. whether that was parenting, you know, things of that nature. So mm-hmm. a lot of impact in that respect. And it just gave me a whole different uh, viewpoint. You know, not everyone was upstanding and good. and There were some bad people. But a lot of these people just needed some resources. Mm-hmm. So did you see, did the city see like a decrease in gang violence um, or individuals actually going into gangs or, you know, as far as that was concerned, was that, there were any impacts there? There were some impacts there. I don't know percentages for those impacts, mm-hmm. but I do know we helped a lot of people. And as with the gang culture, it's ever-evolving. There are, you know, always new members coming in. Mm-hmm. So it was one of those things that was just, it was a continuum, you know, uh, pattern of behavior. I, I'll never forget, uh, my supervisor was asked by the city manager at that time, have we solved this problem yet? <laughs> and I, I had to start laughing and I'm like, is he for real? Really? <laughs> you know, we're, we're talking about uh, centuries of this type of behavior and you think we're going to just come in with this program and solve a problem like that overnight. No. (laughs) So, but we did see some positive signs. And I do believe at that time we did see some decrease because it wasn't just the prosecutor's office. It was, we partnered with the police department, with probation, parole. So we worked as a team and with that team dynamic, we really did see some impact, I believe. Mm Mm-hmm. And doesn't the gang, in a lot of cases, take the place of the family? So if there's a family dysfunction, um, the gangs oftentimes will pick up that um, nurture need, that um, that collaboration, that community that they don't get at home. And so they provide that for them. Is is that not also part of the gang's uh, I want to say their their mantra, their their mission. Well, I don't know if it's so much their mission, but I do know that it provides for a lot of these young people that get involved a safe haven, maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, it provides a, a source of someone that will listen to me, someone that understands me, you know, uh, something to, to be a part of. To feel like I belong somewhere. Mm. There's a lot of dynamics that come with it. You know, it's not just one thing. It's right. many things. So, Yvette, what do you think? If, if we could turn them from um, the violence and the crime that also perpetuates the gang structure, um, could it be... Um, you know, I don't want to say a replacement, but an augmentation to the family? Um, it could <laughs> be. I mean, there are so many variables, you know, that you talk about here. Mm-hmm. So many variables. And what you want to do, you want these young people to come out of that culture. Because I found, Linda, that there were some smart young people, yeah. talented young people. And given that chance to see that there is a different side, you know, mm-hmm. a, a lot of them will take that if they're not afraid of 
Uh, I'm going to be, you know, ostracized by the gang or threatened by the gang, things of that nature. So there's just so many variables. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's it's interesting. I mean, you you look back at at Hollywood and and video, and you know the the love story between uh, Maria and Tony in uh, West Side Story was really about the gangs, and yeah. you know how um, that love and and the, the fighting convention actually brought some peace to the two gangs uh, in New York at the time. Um, I know it's it, it's very much a Romeo and Juliet kind of story, but you know there was there was this sort of sense of hope that you could bring the gangs together, that you could um, possibly decrease the violence that goes on in them. Um, and I know that's that may be wishful thinking, but it is also to me, part of the change in the world that we'd like to see, the quilt that we're building. And it's like, how do we go about doing that? Yeah. And, and you you know, you used the uh, uh, phrase here, wishful thinking, and I think you're mm-hmm. absolutely right. It is wishful thinking. Yeah. Um, in an ideal world, yes, that we could bring people together like that. And But there have been truces called, uh, mm-hmm. believe it or not, you know, with gangs. And, and that, in and of itself, is a very, very crafty, it takes skill uh, to mm. be able to bring a truce uh, with a gang. You know, it's not like you just walk in and say, okay, let's sit down and let's have this kumbaya moment. It doesn't <laughs> work like that. It, you know, there are a lot of hurt feelings. There's a lot of uh, friction, animosity, a lot of history. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's good, you know, between gangs. And so it's not easy to do that. But again, there have been truces called, you know, mm-hmm. where they have shaken hands across the table and, and you know, put a halt on the violence. So if it, in some respects, it, it the gangs are, in essence, a reflection of, of how countries deal with things. I mean, if you look at, you know, the, the wars and the little skirmishes and even what we're doing in the Middle East and this kind, of, it could almost be gang, gang-like in that respect. Would you... Agree with that? Yeah, I I really would. You know, for a lack of uh, of a better word, if you want to analogize it like that or yeah. compare it, yeah, yeah, sort Absolutely. of a metaphor. You know, so so the gangs are on more of a micro level to the macro things that are going on in the world today. Yes. Okay. Yep. A lot right. of it is the reflection of what's going on in society. You mm-hmm. know, as a whole. Yeah. Okay. Um, in fact, just real quickly, I'm curious. Why did you start as an uh, in the, the emergency medical system as an EMT and then a paramedic? What drew you to that in the first place? Well, earlier I was going to school to become a nurse um, in the '70s, and I didn't really want to be a nurse. And nursing is a noble profession, and I admire those that are into it. But I didn't want to do that. And I had a job where I was transcribing news. And a commercial came on for the first female paramedic for L.A. City Fire Department. And it just drew this level of excitement. Oh, my goodness. I was so excited when I saw that. First thing I did the following day was got on the phone to find out what does it take to become a paramedic. Mm-hmm. And I found out what it you know took to do that. I said, "Oh my God, I think I found my calling." And before you know it, 
I had enrolled in uh, the emergency medical technician school, which is what I had to do. Mm-hmm. And that started my, um, that started my love uh, for emergency medicine. So you were one of the first um, as uh, that graduated as an EMT, yes? Uh, I was early on. We'll, okay. we'll just say that. <laughs> <laughs> I, okay. I was early on in yeah. that process. So, yeah, there weren't many females at that time. And in particular, there certainly weren't many females of color involved in the industry. Absolutely. Well, we'll talk a little bit about how I got into nursing in sort of a similar way, but coming in through the back door. So, audience, uh, while we take this two-minute break, I'd love you to think about some of the things that Yvette was talking about, especially around how we can make change in our community, how we can work with um, the the children to really inspire them to be all that they can be, no matter what their environment might be. Think on that, and we'll be right back. Voice America Women's Channel a leader in the forward movement of women's success. Linda Patton draws from her four decades of leadership experience and her heartfelt passion to show women how to lead, dream, and create what inspires them. Her signature training programs and workshops will guide you through the key skills you need to own your leadership power, build your resources, plan your path, and take the actions that will translate your vision into reality. Start by scheduling a free, no-obligation, 30-minute strategy session with Linda Patton. Contact her at Linda at DareToDreamWithLinda.com. That's Linda at Dare, the number two, DreamWithLinda.com. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog, Press Pass? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus, topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at VAPressPass.com. That's VAPressPass.com. VA Press Pass by Voice America. All access, all the time. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Voice America Women's Channel. A leader in the forward movement of women's success. You are listening to Leadership Stars with Linda Patton. To reach the show today, please call 1-866-613-1612. That's 1-866-613-1612. You may also send an email to Linda at daretoleadwithlinda.com. Now, back to Leadership Stars. Welcome back. And I'm here with a very extraordinary woman, Yvette McDowell. And I I find it very interesting, Yvette, that you've got 30 years of experience as a first responder. 
and you've lived the challenges of being a woman in a man's world, you've overcome those challenges and you now teach those skills to other women who have felt gender discrimination, the lack of support from other women in their department or their company, or have had trouble being promoted. I think that's that's the challenge in today's world as we're trying to bring more women into key positions of leadership in politics, in corporations, and even in um, entrepreneurship. So, Yvette, how'd you do that? Oh, Linda, (laughs) you know. (laughs) That's a big question, right? That's a real big question. That's a multi-part question there, Mm -hmm. uh, what it is. You know, what really led me to that once I retired from the city as a prosecutor, I had maintained close contact with uh, law enforcement uh, folks that I worked with and some from fire. And I would continue hearing some of the challenges going on. And the challenges were no different than the ones that I dealt with back in the early 80s. Mm-hmm. And it was really amazing to me that here, 2018, 2017, we're still dealing with the same issues. And at that time, I, I was just like, you, you've got to be kidding me. There has to be something going on here that's not getting across. You know, why are the numbers still so low for females in positions of authority? You know, chiefs, uh, fire chiefs, police chiefs, uh, captains, commanders. The numbers are low. Uh, mm-hmm. When you talk about the overall numbers in departments, we're looking at somewhere maybe between 4 and 6% of women who are in the upper ranks. Mm-hmm. That's unacceptable. You know, as long as the fire service and police fire and police service have been around, those numbers are unacceptable. Mm-hmm. And so I just, you know, as I started talking to people I knew, I started noticing uh, common themes throughout. And a lot of it had to deal with lack of confidence uh, in their abilities as females to move into the higher ranks or the little voices, you know, that self-talk of not being able to move forward or thinking you're not good enough or this is not for a woman. You know, all these things that people hear and they hold on to. Or do you think I should do that? Or letting someone talk them out of it. You know, and at that point, I was like, no, 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 no. So that's what led me into wanting to do this type of work. And Yvette, I I so resonate with what you're saying. Um, You know, in corporate jobs, the the top, uh, what they call C-suite jobs, you know, maybe 10%, 15% are held by women. And what's interesting, uh, there was a company that actually had increased the number of women on their board of directors. And they, you know, we were all going, wow, this is great. You know, they've got uh, a board that has a majority of women. And then they turned around and fired them all. And it's like, what? What do we need to do? What, you know, how do we stay in those positions? Um, as I understand it, there are 600 um, more applications for political positions for the midterm elections and for the elections in June um, than ever before. And, you know, that's a real powerful message that's going on. We did a whole month on um women in politics and really, really powerful movement in, in that respect. But I agree with you. We, our gender heritage, I think in a lot of cases, keeps us from 
stepping confidently into those positions, taking the exams that we need to, and then actually accepting the positions in a lot of cases. Um, we, we're told we have to be perfect. We're told that we should be in the background, um, that we need to know 100% of the job and the issues and the challenges that go with it. Um, and and all of that, and we do that little voice that sits on your shoulder, you know, that says you're not good enough. I think that definitely holds us back. So when you confront those women in a workshop or in a keynote address, what do you tell them? You know, I, I start off first of all wanting to let them know that they are appreciated for the work they do, they, whether they hear it or not or enough, that they are truly appreciated. And we need to have more women at the top in positions of leadership. Mm-hmm. Why we need that? You know, I, I have to go through why I believe we need to have that. And, and I'll give you a quick example. You know, women are communicators. We mm-hmm. really do communicate. We know how to communicate. And I believe with the resolve that we can bring about just by our being able to communicate, we can de-escalate a lot of things where men have a tendency to go in with more of the testosterone approach. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, it's more of the do as I say, and, and I don't want to hear it, where women, we don't do that. You know, we do go in and we try to have a conversation We try to get underneath what's going on with whatever it may be, the conflict. There's a reason that there's conflict. Conflict doesn't just happen by itself in a vacuum. Mm -hmm. There are underlying reasons, and if we can come to some type of understanding as to why, then there are times that we can, you know, we can resolve the issues so much better. So that, Mm -hmm. you know... These are the kind of things that I like to go through. Um, you know, I like to talk about confidence and, and what it is. Because you're confident, you know, doesn't mean that you're cocky, um, you know, you're arrogant, things of that nature. You just know that you can do what you can do and you do it with a level of uh, precision. doesn't have to be perfect, but you know that you can do the job that you're called to do. And you do it with that confidence. You do it with the courage. You do it with the best of your ability. Mm-hmm. And these are that we have to look at as women, you know, just doing the things that we know we can do and doing them well and mm-hmm. not being afraid to say, yeah, I believe I did a good job. I am unapologetic about that. Because yeah. another thing we a tendency to always want to apologize for things. And no, we don't need to do that either. And Yvette, I think what you're saying is absolutely true. I think, um, again, men are, are more on the telling side and what I call command, which I'm sure you've, you've experienced in either the fire department or with the police department. The, the senior leadership tends to command as opposed to use influence to make matters move forward. Um, I agree so wholeheartedly that we are better at being curious. We use the emotional intelligence around that so much better than the 
men do um, because it's it's part of our the feminine qualities along with collaboration and creativity and relate building relationships and that kind of thing. Um, I also love the fact that you talked about being bold and unapologetic. That was my theme for last year was that I my theme was I would be bold and unapologetic that whole year. Do you know how hard it is not to say I'm sorry? Um, I think it's ingrained in our DNA. So I had this I had this little uh, bucket that every time I said I'm sorry, sorry, or whatever it was, I'd throw 50 cents in there. And I actually was able to donate uh, close to $500 to my um, my charity uh, Naysavers, which takes racehorses off the uh, the track before they are totally broken down because of it. And and I realized that it's just an, that automatic almost. Um, when somebody says something, you just automatically say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, even if that's not necessarily the appropriate comment to make. Uh, and trying to turn that around, you know, how do you say something different? What's the, the appropriate words to be saying to them? And I, I agree. I think that's um, it's a challenge for women. We have, it's like we've always apologized, and that's not who we are. We have to step into that confidence, that we know who we are and what we are and what we can accomplish um, and how powerful we can be when we are in that power, right? Absolutely, absolutely. I, I, I tell you, Linda, I, I cannot begin to tell you how many times I have spoken with women who constantly apologize for things. Mm-hmm. And I ask the question, why are you apologizing? For what you're doing, you know, what you're doing is good. You're good at this. There's no need to make an excuse for it. And we have to get out of that. Mm-hmm. We really have to get out of it because I asked the question also, what are we teaching our young women mm-hmm. that we apologize for everything mm-hmm. or because something doesn't go right? We have to apologize for it. No. Well, no. and Yvette, to some degree, it goes goes back to also that we don't want to make mistakes, that we're afraid of making mistakes that will ruin people's lives, will destroy them or whatever. And I'm going, I've, I've said before, you know, if you're, you know, you got a manual for your marriage, for how to go to school, how to raise kids, whatever it might be, how to retire, you, you got a manual that said, this is how you do this. And the answer always is, well, no. So this life is meant to be experienced, the good, the bad, and the ugly, which means you're going to make mistakes. But learning from them and moving forward with that knowledge is what's important about this life and this lifetime. Um, so how do you go about doing that? Is, you know, they always say don't repeat the mistakes. Um, but if, you know, if we don't learn from them, we're doomed to repeat you know, repeat them. So how do we learn from those mistakes that we made so that we can be an even better leader, a more courageous woman, um, and actually move up in the opinion and the prestige of the people that we work with? Yeah? Do you yes, agree? I do. Yeah. Yes, I agree. Yes, so, I agree. <laughs> Yvette, you're working with first responders, and I know one of the groups you're working through is Women leaders in law enforcement, and there's something curious about that. Would you tell the audience about that? 
Women Leaders in Law Enforcement, um, the organization that came about years, I mean, years ago. And I don't know if very many people know about it. I don't think they do. Um, but when I learned of them, I wanted to find out a little bit more about the organization. So I did visit one of the chapters, mm-hmm. uh, in particular, Orange County, California. And I found that they were here to, you know, be a force where they could uh, come together, get mentored, uh, do the things that they needed to do to support each other, uh, to encourage each other. Mm -hmm. So, you know, doing all of that, I was like, okay, this is an organization that I certainly would like to be a part of. And I became um, a member, first Mm -hmm. and foremost. And shortly after that, I was elected to the board uh, to be a co-chair for the board in the Orange County chapter. So it's an organization that I see that could bring about a lot of good for women. And when we talk about that confidence and being able to be mentored, uh, to promote, to find out what it takes, there are a lot of women who are in the upper ranks that can mentor women in the, you know, in the, uh, the front line area as officers, those who are trying to promote, want to find out what it takes. And if you have problems, someone that you can talk to. So that's what I look at organizations like uh, Willie, and that's the acronym Willie. Yes. <laughs> uh, so it's just a great organization for that type of thing. Eva, do you notice anything? Oftentimes, I find that women who step into leadership in a predominantly male um, organization uh, take on the characteristics of the male leaders, uh, which oftentimes, is, as you said, that's do as I say, telling without that asking piece, that curiosity piece. And so they, they sound and appear very hard. Uh, and I'm sure that in the, I know in the military it's like that, I would presume that it's similar in the police department and the fire department, that you take on those characteristics, which doesn't necessarily serve you. Um, and it can alienate the women that you're trying to mentor because they go, I don't want to be that leader. Um, and so do you work with them on that aspect as well, taking it from command to a more influence, uh, more collaboration, that kind of thing? Yes, that that's another area that is, really near and dear to me. My thing is you can lead in your feminine power. Mm -hmm. You can do that. You don't have to take that male persona on. And I have seen that countless numbers of times where women take that hardcore exterior, uh, you know, I'm in charge, I'm the boss and, you know, take those, those characteristics on that, men usually portray because I said with men it's a testosterone thing with many of them you know it's not an indictment of all but it is many and most and when a woman presents herself in that fashion it's like no 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 you don't have to do that to earn the respect of people you can lead in your feminine power and we're not talking about high heels and lipstick here you know let's be real clear about that. We're, we're talking about the softer side, the gentler side. Um, mm-hmm. That can be used. And believe me, my mom used to always say you can catch more flies with honey than you can with vinegar. Absolutely. And, 
I do believe that works in this same respect. Yes, there are times when you are going to have to be a hardcore individual, depending on who you're dealing with. You know, some people could care less that you're a female. They will come at you just like they would a man. In that respect, then step up. Do what you need to do. But for the most part, be who you are. You know, it, it really bugs me when I see women out drinking like the men drink. You know, and these are things that are real. You know, I'm right. not just talking about uh, imagined things. I've seen these things. I've seen women get sloppy drunk. I've seen women participate with the guys in manners that they shouldn't. You do not have to do that. All right. And on that note, audience, when have you stepped into that masculine archetype and been that masculine leader and you don't have to do it? Think about that and see how we can make that shift to more feminine leadership. And we'll be back in two minutes. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Have you left your corporate or military career to start your own business? Are you frustrated that you're not seeing the success you expected as an entrepreneur? Let leadership expert Linda Patton show you the key skills and mindset you need to engage your team, build your influence, and create the thriving business of your dreams. Linda Patton understands the challenges and frustrations facing a new business owner. Drawing from her own 40 years of experience in the military, corporate, government, and entrepreneurial arenas. That's why it's become Linda's life work to help women like you truly become the world-changing, extraordinary leaders you are meant to be. Are you ready to step in, step up, and step out into leadership to create an exceptional business and life? Start by scheduling a free 30-minute strategy session with Linda Patton. Contact her at Linda at Dare to Lead with Linda.com. That's Linda at Dare, the number two, lead with Linda.com. The Voice America Live Events Channel is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. Voice America is where you are and where you want to be. Join us around the globe as we broadcast live from some of the most interesting events available. Don't forget to view all our live events, including on-demand access to past events that you may have missed by visiting voiceamerica.com forward slash live events. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. 
Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Voice America Women. Your passion starts here. You are listening to Leadership Stars with Linda Patton. To reach the show today, please call 1-866-613-1612. That's 1-866-613-1612. You may also send an email to Linda at daretoleadwithlinda.com. Now, back to Leadership Stars. Welcome back, and I am with the incomparable Yvette McDowell, um, who is changing the paradigm of women in leadership in more masculine orientations um, so that they're standing in their confidence and they're leading in their feminine power to really change the game to the better. Well, welcome back, Yvette. Hi. Um, and I was I was going to tell you in the last segment about you said that you know you were going to be a nurse and you ended up going into the EMT world. I did something similar, but sort of in the reverse. I was in my degrees and whatever are in business, and in the eighties, I believe, um, you know, we shifted to managed care and nurses in hospitals. I was teaching them uh, problem solving, decision making. And they said, you know, can you teach us how to talk to those business people up there? We have no idea. And I said, I, uh, obviously I can do that. And they said, yeah, but we'll never listen to you because you're not a nurse. So based on that, I, you know, I happened to see a flyer for a uh, fast-track nursing program, and I said, okay, if I get in, great. Um, as long as I get A's, I'll keep going. If I get a B, I'm out of here. Well, I went through uh, 18 months. It was a fast-track program, passed the nursing boards, surprised myself with that, um, and then actually taught for two years at the college system um, nurses around how do you how do you talk to those people? How do you give them a business case for something that they do. And it was challenging, to say the least. Um, you know, you say to them, we need to do a business case for this, so we're going to write a, a business plan. And they go, oh, but I think we need to do a community assessment first to see if this is really the right place to do this. I went, no, you don't need to do that. You, you know, let's build the business case, and then we'll look at where's the best place to do what we want. But if we don't build the business case, how do you know what community is best for this? And that was that was a, a place where we never agreed, uh, and it was it was very interesting. I didn't finish my master's degree because of that, because uh, I couldn't. Um, my director of nursing and I did not agree. We did not see eye to eye on that. And neither one of us were willing to step around it, um, which was kind of interesting. Anyway, um, that I know that you've stepped into a new movement. You know, you've been working with, you know, women in leadership roles in traditionally masculine environments and very successful in helping them to build that confidence to step into their feminine power and to really almost in essence show men how else leadership can be done and how it can be done with the relationship 
being the important role um, in it. But you're going off um, into what I would call a new block for the quilt of world change. Tell us about that. Oh, my. Well, this is a, it's a controversial subject for many people. Mm -hmm. And it's one that I never in my wildest dreams, Linda, thought I would be heading this way. But I'm moving into the area of cannabis law. Mm. Yes. Yeah. Cannabis and you, law. And you were just at um, a large gathering um, in Washington, D.C. around this, yes? It will be coming up in a couple of weeks. Uh, we'll okay. be lobbying Congress for some changes in the laws. And, and I know the question is, why cannabis law? I tell you, Linda, my mother passed from complications of Parkinson's last year. Mm-hmm. And I learned of medicinal benefits. I, I've been watching the medicinal use of cannabis for a while, what it's been doing for children, what it's been doing for our veterans with PTSD, police officers. Uh, I mean, just some of the many wonderful things. And when I learned of the impact it was showing with Parkinson's, I said to myself, if my mom or I would have known that it was having that impact, I would have given my mom edibles in the cannabis world because I watched her go from the beginning to the end. And when you watch a disease like that and mm-hmm. what it does to an individual, it is one of the most heartbreaking things to see a vibrant woman, and, and I mean active, vibrant get to the point where she cannot even swallow anymore. She can't talk. She can't walk. She can't do anything for herself because of the impact of this disease. Mm -hmm. And to know that there was something out there that could possibly have made a difference for her, that really struck me. It really struck me. And so my thing is with it, regardless of how you feel, whether you're pro or whether you're not, and I'm not advocating people choose one way. You feel how you feel. But since 63% of Americans have voted to legalize it in California, my thought was this. Then if you're going to have it legal, then let's do it right. You know, have legislation that's sensible, have regulations that are sensible, reasonable, equitable. And in order to do that, you're going to have to have people that know the law, that can educate, that can advocate in that respect. And so for me, that's the area that I like focusing on is the legislative regulation and educational end to really inform people, you know, these myths that we've heard and, you know, all the Cheech and Chong thing, uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> young people and cannabis, you know, they're has to be massive education. Mm-hmm. And that's what I want to do with it, is from that educational standpoint. Well, and in fact, we, we have several challenges around this, too. Um, you know, yes, it's legalized in California and many other states, but the feds don't, the federal government doesn't see that. And so you have this, California saying it's great, but if you, if you run in, into the feds, they can easily um, burn your fields and put you in jail for it. So there's there's that, you know, am I, I I'm darned if I do yeah. and darned if I don't um, kind of problem as well. 
Uh, and aren't there actually two types of, uh, I don't want to say cannabis, but two types of medical marijuana that, that we're actually working with, one that has its THC and one that doesn't? Is that, that right? That's, that's correct. There are two types when you're in the medical world. There's one that has what's called the CBD, and that's not the, the psychoactive with the high THC and all of that. You know, there may be 3% of THC in some mm-hmm. of the CBDs. But when you're looking at it medicinally, you're not talking about, I'm going to get high. That's right. not what this is about. <laughs> this is about, I am having some serious issues. Um, uh, for example, I saw a baby, I mean a baby, Linda, having 300 seizures a day. Oh. And it was not until her parents, were informed about the impact CBDs were having on this, and her seizures reduced to 10 a day. And now you think about that. You're going from 300 a day to 10 a day, and that was due to the CBD that she was given uh, by her parents. When I see things like that, and, and yes, not letting this go, it is still illegal under federal law. And Mm -hmm. that is something that people must know because a lot of people think, oh, because California is legalized, that means everything is okay. No, that is so far from the truth. Um, So once again, that is why education for me is so critical. So people will know what they're faced with. And it's a long way to go. This is going to be a long, long battle for a lot of people. And I simply want to make sure people are educated, mm-hmm. you know, know the laws, that they know when a city puts a particular regulation in or license or fees or whatever those safeguards are in, that people know. Because if you're going to do this, if you're going to regulate it, then do it right. Mm-hmm. Do it the right You know, and if you don't like it, that's fine, too. You know, nobody's saying that. And our young people, let's get them educated and let them know that the impact that young people are having, their brains are still developing. And there are some concerns about that. Young people need to know what these concerns are. They Mm -hmm. must be educated with that. So there are so many things that people need to know. And I'm just a firm believer, let's do it right. I I yeah, I totally agree. Doing it right is really important. I mean, we, we saw the effects of prohibition uh, when we said, oh, no alcohol, we are not selling it, nothing. And how, in essence, we turned it into this hidden, uh, you know, the speakeasies and, and all of that. And then when we, you know, yes, we, we regulate it, you know, you know, what what you have to have to be able to buy it. In some states, you actually can't pick up the bottle. You have to go through the ABC stores and that kind of thing. And while I'm sure it hasn't, um, you know, eliminated the the kids who are drinking or the folks who are um, over drinking, but it it does 
there's an education piece to this. And I so agree that, you know, I, I came up also through the 60s and the 70s um, when, you know, it was it was just sort of derogera there. It was just something that, quote, everybody did. Um, so I am I am so thrilled that you're doing this. And we'll come back to that in just a second. Um, I did want you to share your free gift that you have for my audience um, before we go oh, any further. Absolutely. They can go to stand confident and lead.com that's stand confident and lead.com and there's a free report that they can get um, that talks about confidence courage communication leadership um, things that people are looking for and wondering and so it's my freebie to your guest Linda your guest Linda and I want them to have that I want them to take those tools and apply some of those techniques. Well, and I find that that's a very generous gift, Yvette, and I'm really so happy that you've offered that to our audience, which is international as well as far-flung across the United States. So I know that there are many women out there who will take advantage of that with you. Um, I was just real curious quickly, do you have um, two to three great tips to leave with our audience today? Oh, absolutely. One, don't take a back seat. (laughs) And what I mean by that, for example, if you're in a group of people or you're in a meeting at your job, whatever the case may be, and you're speaking or you want to contribute to the conversation, then step up, be heard. And if someone interrupts you, don't hesitate to turn around and say, excuse me. I have the floor, I'm speaking, that is something that you can do, and you can do that without resolve. So that's one tip that I would offer people to do. And and the second thing, I would say, contribute. Really be a contributor. Don't think about yourself as being, oh, I don't have anything to give, I don't have anything to say, I'm going to shy away. No, you know what you have to say is of value. You know that. Uh, That's the one thing I do believe. And as such, take pride. Take pride in what you do. Take pride in what you say. These are little things that people can do because I'll guarantee you, the first time you step out without fear and say something, you will look back and you will say to yourself, oh my God, I cannot believe I did that. And look at the impact that it may have had. So I just want people to step out of that box. Try something new. Do the extraordinary. Oh, Yvette, I love this. I love all all three of them. Um, Especially don't take a a back seat. You know, step up, step out. And don't let them cut you off. I love the excuse me, I have the floor. Um, Contribute. Don't think that you don't have anything to say because we have a lot to say and we are going to change the world um, by what we do and take pride in the fact that you have that experience. So, Yvette, thank you so very much for being here today. It has been a delight and I'm sure the audience has learned so much about being a leader in a man's world and how you can still be in your feminine qualities. So thank you again very, very much. Audience, um, if you'd like to know more about 
movement making and the mentor who can help you with that or the art of hurting cats, please do email me at Linda at dare the number two lead with Linda.com. And until next week, be courageous and dare to lead until next time. Thank you for tuning in to leadership stars. Please join Linda Patton for another engaging edition of our program next Monday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time and 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Women's Channel. We'll feature another noted leader next week.